And now, it's time for the Dad Bod Rap Pod with your hosts, Damone Carter, David Ma, and Nate LeBlanc. Dad Bod Rap Pod, we are back another week, more rap talk with the three bad brothers you know so well. I am Damone Carter, a.k.a. Dem One. I am joined in the Zoom by my mellow, my man, Nate LeBlanc. What's happening? Hey, guys. What's going on? Um, What is happening? It's that weird sports time where every sport is sporting. Yeah. It's football. Yes. It's baseball playoffs. NBA Basketball is tonight. kicking off. It's yeah. just like I, I don't watch tonight, yeah. as much sports as I used to, but it's still an exciting time. There's a lot to read about. There's a lot to follow. Andrew Wiggins got vaccinated. I'm weirdly excited about that. So <laughs> here we are. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's a very, very interesting character. And the Andrew Wiggins of our program. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I look at Dave as more like a Jarrett Jack. Remember Jarrett Jack? <laughs> Who could forget Warriors? Jarrett Jack? Yeah, like the emotional core of that of those teams. Uh, hard, but, like you guys have probably not seen Dave play as many times as I have, but Dave is an excellent point guard, a great passer, <laughs> had a killer three point shot in particular before he got his elbow hurt. So, like your comparison is not far off, Demo, okay. and a leader on the court, which is I think what we're talking about here. A- absolutely, and the first guy that would get into a fight, Mr. David Ball. <laughs> How's it going, bro? Yo, it's good to be here, guys. Um, I think my hairline is more like Chris Gatling's. You guys remember him? He was like a power forward. All right, yes, all right. with anyway, the Gatling line, gun, with Who the line, forget? and uh, oh my uh, god! Man. But much. yeah, man, good to be here, you guys. Um, couple weeks after Tree Ford, and a couple episodes in from Squid Game, and new microphones, and that's my life, dude. We're all caught up. Yeah, um, it's it's been a definitely an interesting time on on several levels. We have a dope show lined up for you guys. On the other side of the segment, we are going to be talking to Blueprint, um, who you know as an amazing MC, but also as a podcaster um, who hosts Super Duty Tough Work, which is another Stony Island sure shot. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're excited to get, bring you that conversation. But talking to Blueprint got us thinking about uh, the Midwest. I know some would say that regionalism is a uh, is dead in hip-hop um but i love me some regionalism and uh, i think the midwest is probably one of those regions probably the most under discussed region when you say new york there's a particular sound or sounds in mind when you say the west coast there's a particular set of sounds down south for sure um but it got talking to blueprint got me thinking about like what is the Midwest sound? There's definitely something there. He speaks on it a little bit in the interview. Don't want to tip too much, but I wanted to throw this out to you guys. And we'll start with you, Dave. Um, when you think about the Midwest rap sound, what are some of the, the characteristics that, that come to mind for you? I think, um, I mean, the Midwest, like you said, it doesn't have like huge benchmarks in terms of um, just the aesthetics but i think the the midwest is like a distillation of sort of the best of each coast and also a little bit of the south now nowadays um for me personally when i think of fucking midwest hip-hop uh nate and my friend uh, alan johnson aka albert jenkins we went to uh chicago i think it was spring of 07 or 08 and this was on on you know like fresh on the heels of the cool kids bake sale being out and mm. i just remember that song i mean that album particularly the album itself, because it was like a trunk rattling type album that was just blasting everywhere. So I really like going into locales and being like, okay, this is, this is the pride at the moment. So that, um, that experience stands out to me in terms of um, Midwest rap. But of course, I mean, I'm, I'm a 40 year old dude. And so, you know, sort of my um, uh, emergence was during the uh, indie uh, rap boom. So atmosphere, you know, uh, slug and ant, um they're uh they're near and dear to my heart i mean i certainly sort of checked out for like a decade or so but that doesn't mean that what they made and the scene that they cultivated isn't awesome and i they stand out to me when i think about midwest um hip-hop and like what you were saying regionalism um what about you guys i think it's uh especially in the more underground thing of what we're talking about is like a ruggedness with the beats but then like an introspection in the lyrics like where Mm -hmm. those two things come together is what i think of like 
you we talk we've talked in many episodes about like kind of like Detroit drums and how yeah. like dirty they mm-hmm. are and there's there's something very evocative about that um and then I do I do think um blueprint illogic slug um a, a, a lot of kind of like independent backpacky if you will um kind of scribble jam sort yeah. of MCs have this like they they were early to what is common now which is doing kind of like an introspective like not afraid to talk about your feelings like they're great MCs and they rap about rapping but they they were able to access real human emotions and bring them to the fore um early and then you just kind of have like your fun like MC breed like mm. like curiosities and like early hits where you're like oh this is like a different like you know it kind of gets lumped in with G funk but it's like oh this is a Flint Michigan rap there's Flint yeah. Michigan rap like yeah. it's it's just an interesting kind of uh thing and D- Dave pointed it out already but there's always been kind of a conversation between the Midwest and the Bay area where there was an affinity for each other's music, which I've always found really interesting, particularly Detroit and Oakland have yes. a lot in common. So um, I think there's, there's a couple of things that define it, but we're kind of approaching it from this backpack angle. I don't think this applies to like Sada baby or um, Lil Dirk or like some of the other stuff that kind of defines Midwest rap in the more mainstream hip hop ecosystem of the moment. That's just kind of like a really skillful attacking kind of style of rapping which is amazing in its own right but not not what i'm getting at today if that makes sense no no i i totally hear you maybe i'll i'll approach this from a a slightly different perspective because when you talk about artists like those it makes me go back to twista um in terms of um a midwest sound that can oftentimes mirror a west coast um attacking rhyme style um with a double time and things like that twisted being a probably an under heralded uh, innovator in in that regard and also common i think commons earnestness when you talk about even the underground cats who came like a generation after him um i think he opened the door for this kind of like earnest uh kind of everyman rap that slug and uh ant kind of brought to the world um through the underground channels and became such an empire in their own way. So I, I, don't, I haven't spent a lot of time in the Midwest, but I also try to like connect the general tone and vibe of places to the rap music that is created. I spent the weekend in, in LA and like I go, when you're in LA and you're listening to Tyler, the creator, you're like, yeah, this, this makes sense. Like this is, this totally makes sense. And I think when I listen to Midwest hip hop, um, I definitely get the sense that, real earnest dudes um, who are influenced by, by both coasts, but not as chauvinistic as either coast. Um, yeah. And definitely like more inclusive of different sounds and approaches because I don't know, maybe when you don't touch an ocean, you don't have, a, you don't have a complex. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Well, I, I think, I think it's, a, oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Step on your toes. I just feel like it's a little bit more expansive than like what we're giving it credit for. And we're really, we're really speaking through this like backpack sort of gaze, but I mean, like, you know, chance the rapper, you know what I mean? Like, well, I, I don't, I don't think of uh, when, when I hear him, I'm not like, ah, oh, this is so Midwest. You know what I mean? Uh, okay. Or, or Kanye. Like, I mean, right. let's, let's look no, at totally. the, the giants um, of this industry. Yeah, exactly. Uh, bone thugs. Right. I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, we're so, I mean, we're, we're speaking of it through a very sort of specific gaze and that's sort of like the backpack uh, maker and quell and typical cats and that stuff. And, I listen to that as well, but you know, let's not let us not forget the bone thugs as well, you know, and uh, it's more expansive than we thought. This is something that's come up a couple of times recently, and maybe we need to do a deep dive so I can re-listen. But someone, I can't forget who, and they might have said this to me in real life, not online, was like bone thugs just doesn't get talked about for as much as they sold. Like their impact seems to have like kind of dissipated. And I don't know if it's because like none of the guys really had huge second acts or if mm-hmm. like they, if they're like style like uh, this is a kind of a weird point to make but i they kind of remind me of boys to men in that way wow like, like, <laughs> to men were like inescapable yeah, and i was right. such a huge fan of theirs and now they're like on the county fair circuit like right yeah. so right. weird right. how you can go from being so huge to and i don't want to say not relevant because there are references to things and we all have nostalgia for them but like it's a curious 
kind of uh, place they hold in the current conversation. For some people, that's right. like their favorite music from when they grew up. Sure. But what can you point to that really was born of that? I don't I don't know. It's well, I, I, I kind of feel like uh, what they did was they popularized a style and then folks kind of took it and run with it, ran with yeah. it. I, I and they took it from Freestyle Fellowship. We can get right to that on another episode. But um, when I listened to uh, Notorious Thugs with um, Biggie and Bone Thugs, when he takes their flow and basically uh, does a halftime, double time, mm-hmm. and then everybody in the East Coast after that was like, oh, that's how you do it. It was so they to me are kind of like a link to people who didn't know how to rap like that. They yeah. were like, oh, this is how you rap like that. So they popularized the style. Um, they came along at a particular time. I think by the time they were fucking with Phil Collins, uh, it had <laughs> it had gotten <laughs> it just got to be kind of um, almost gimmicky, which is which is sad because I do think in some ways they they were definitely talented, but their approach I think was so big, so quick, so hot that it just it kind of petered out. But at the same time, when I listened to um, a Three Six Mafia, or you listen to um, you know, there's Chicago rap and things. And I hear bits and pieces of the double time flow. And I think Bone Thugs has to be given credit um, for popularizing that style and, and, and bringing it. And they sold a freaking kajillion records at a time. Totally. Um, I, you, they, I'm sorry. I keep fucking stepping on your toes, dude. It's this new mic. I'm, it's coming in hot. Too much power. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think there a lot of weird things happen to them um, in after the 2000s as well. You know, Busy Bone going on radio shows and coming off like a crackhead and just like just weird beefs that they had. I think they're just hugely viewed as uncool now. So people don't want to like they don't want to like give props to some shit that they listened to in middle school. You know, even if like Nate was saying, there are huge connects to what they did and what they eventually popularized. So you're saying that they've reached the end of the road. <laughs> they're at a crossroads and uh... yes yes uh but it is the first of the month almost so uh, i don't know i just i had to to get that job. um and they so, miss their uncle charles we get it no <laughs> dang it uh so yeah so we were we were definitely fortunate to talk to blueprint who goes deep 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 uh into the history of uh both ohio rap um, mm. And then also talks a little bit about Cincinnati and some different areas that we don't typically think about in some of the forerunners in those areas. And it was interesting. Um, you'll hear him just talking just a bit, but it was interesting to hear him talk about the influence of battling. Um, and I know I think uh, both of you guys brought up kind of scribble jam as a as an influence. Nate, can you talk just a little bit about like how that scene and like that approach uh, became part of the, the Midwest vibe, or at least to, to our understanding. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm no expert on this subject matter, but uh, in my world, like a scribble jam title, like Mac lethal won the scribble jam battle right. that automatically makes him an MC who must be checked for. Um, right. It was, it was very prestigious, um, and we came from a world of DJ battles, but there was an MC battling was not really a huge thing on the West Coast or like in here in the Bay Area that I was a part of or that I really cared about the the freestyle chops and the kind of things that mattered were done in concert, not in not in structured battles that I was a part of. But I would go to DJ battles all the time. Our friends from the bangers and um, other kind of associates of ours were in battles at the time, especially team battles. So I was very familiar with that DJ battle world. But to see it kind of taken to this other MC level. And we've asked a bunch of our past guests about scribble jam times. And I'm interested in the stories of that time. And it seems to have functioned kind of like a, a meeting of the minds for people who are of a certain ilk. It was kind of like this low budget, um, like gathering, not to use the juggalo terminology, which immediately <laughs> is an offshoot of Midwest rap Midwest. We're not talking about mm-hmm. yeah. um, it, where people kind of tested their metal against each other. And Sage Francis career had a huge boost off of winning one of the early battles there. Right. Um, there are legendary battles people still talk about um, from that time. And I, I'm going to contrast that a little bit with a point that I was about to make which was blueprint in particular, such a nice guy. And he has what (laughs) I would call like a Midwestern niceness. He's a polite 
gentleman who like was yeah. so cool to us and yep. as have been most of the cats we've talked to from that scene and so it's interesting to see these nice guys like completely verbally destroy each other yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> right right and then isn't a isn't Eminem is a yes. was a kind of a, a product of the Eminem famous he famously battled dose one I believe and so oh, man. Um, that was crazy that I mean dogs that, came from like miles around <laughs> I'm about to say what pitch was that at the voices yeah. <laughs> people would make pilgrimages to you know to to scribble jam and it, it was pretty cool because you could literally listen to a song and be like oh there's LP hanging out CDs you know what I mean yeah and um yeah. scratch bastards famous um uh star wars juggle i think happened there as well so there i mean there are like romanticized sort of huge huge moments that occurred there which you know once it kind of fizzled out it was kind of sad and i think it that kind of marked the ultimate end of the uh backpack era too mm, that's a that's a very a very interesting point um yeah i i think uh i want to circle back a little bit before we cut to the interview is do we consider kansas city midwest what do you consider that? I do. Okay. Yeah. I, okay. I'm, I'm no no expert in these matters, but uh, I to me it's all part of the same circuit. You can drive there within a day from there, right? From, like, right, right. That's that's so, how I understand it to work. Like, okay. So I I would say then the heir to to Bone Thugs was Tech Nine, uh, and Tech Nine built a built a you know a real empire. He's not somebody we talk about a whole lot, but in terms of independent uh, hip hop in in the Midwest, he he was. Definitely. I mean, I think still is a and he a, can a wrap force. his ass off. It's totally. not, it, there, there is something slightly jugglish about it, though. Sure. Well, he, always... well, he, he would play at those gatherings. Yeah. Still, up, yeah, still know? does. He is he is yeah. popular within that scene. But like kind of I think of him in the same vein as like an E40 who self-made dude from a, a really tiny scene. Yep. Who, Hustler who just hustled his, his mm-hmm. own his own music in his own lane. So I think maybe, maybe in summary, um, the Midwest is a, an amalgamation of a lot of different places and, and scenes uh, that is in conversation with the more chauvinistic coasts and, and edges of America, but generally nicer. Um, I think in terms of uh, people's, I don't think they have the same uh, ego trip that um, uh, rappers from the coast do. And I feel like they have something, especially when you think about places like Chicago and Detroit, um, they have a rich musical legacy that, um, you know, is still growing and changing. We talk a lot about cities here. Brooklyn is not going to be Brooklyn in 20 years. I think Detroit will still be Detroit. I think I think Chicago will still be Chicago. And so um, not sure about Minneapolis, but we are uh, fortunate to have had Blueprint on the program to school us. I learned quite a bit in this interview with Blueprint. So let's jump to it. Here is our conversation with Blueprint, Dad Bod, Rap Pod. Dad bod rap pod every week we talk to people who are moving and shaping hip-hop culture this week is no different joining us in zoom we have mc podcaster extraordinaire blueprint what's happening man hey man just doing it just doing it. how y'all doing today uh living it we we're enjoying uh, as we record this on labor day enjoying uh or two-thirds of us are enjoying uh, our day off um <laughs> so uh thanks for being on the program man you uh, have a very interesting ca- career trajectory and arc. Right now, you have a podcast on the Stony Island Network called mm-hmm. Super Duty Tough Work. And I wanted to kind of start there. Okay. Um, as somebody who's had uh, actual success in rap, why did you start a podcast? That's a great question, man. Uh, <laughs> okay, okay. I like where this is going, fellas. I like where this is going. All right. Well, you know, sometimes you don't get the most interesting questions, you know, and so I know a good question when I hear one. Uh, <laughs> uh, let me see. The reason I started this is, is funny. It's like uh, the same reason I started blogging in 2008. Prior to 2007, 2008, you know, 
blogging was kind of like, eh, that's just for other people. I, around 2007, 2008, I started really reevaluating what we now call like the direct to fan model. And I was like, how do I communicate with these people who follow me? How do I uh, tell my story more effectively? And I was like, well, nobody in, in my peers aren't really blogging like that. Very few of them were, you know, um, those who were, were seeing a lot of traction on just blogging. And so I was like, I'm going to start blogging. And I, it was during a period where I wasn't touring. So I just started writing a lot, two, three blogs a week, started getting a lot of traction. And then I started seeing that, okay, the more I blog, the more people read the blogs, go to my website, purchase merchandise. And I was like, well, shit, this is the formula. So I was like, well, maybe blogging is the future. So then I realized like I just started blogging for a while and got good at it, which kind of led me to other things. But the same thing that I saw in blogging in 2008, I saw in podcasting where I'm like, this is blogging had started to kind of fade, you know, as podcasting started to come up, you got YouTube, all these different means, social media, right? Because social media wasn't as heavy in 2007, 2008 as it is now. And then, and so I said, you know what? Podcasting is where this thing is going. Me being a fan of podcasts, I listened to a bunch of them, you know, um, and on tour, all we would listen to was podcasts. I'm like, and people would say, print, man, you should get a podcast. And I would always say, I don't have shit to talk about. I'm not interesting. I don't, I don't. But then we would have these crazy ass discussions on tour. And I was like, yo, maybe I'll do it. But then I started looking and I was like, yo, I think this is going to be the next thing just like podcasting was, you know, and when people want to really understand the people that they support or or are just learning about new people, podcasting is going to be that. Um, and I also think it was even more because I felt almost like podcasts have kind of taken a place of the blog era for those of us who are around during the blog era where you had these hip hop infinities and, and these uh, hip hop sites and ATAC and all these, these little sites that were popped underground hip hop. Um, and then you had all these other, the two dope boys and all these places where people would go to either read reviews about music, going to people that they trusted their opinion. Everything became more decentralized, blogs faded as well. And as those blogs faded, I was like, yo, podcasting has, I think this is going to be it. And so that's kind of where I decided to do it. You know, 2015, I tried it, me and Rare Groove were the original hosts. And, you know, we did our first episodes on tour and then we did, we got off tour I lived in Columbus. He lived in Cincinnati, so we couldn't record that much. So I stopped. I was like, all right, fuck it. You know, he couldn't make it. So we just quit. That was, we did about five episodes. And then right around the beginning of the new year, I started uh, bringing friends over to the house. I was like, y'all really like this. Maybe I'll do an interview podcast. So I started bringing friends over, interviewing them, seeing who would be good. And then a logic text me one day like, yo, you should let me join Super Duty Tough Work, man. I, I love what y'all's doing. Bring it back. And I was like, all right. And that's kind of, started 2.0 with a logic and that's kind of what got us here but it was just seeing in blogging i'm sorry seeing in podcasting what i saw in blogging in, in 2007-2008 and for those who uh who maybe don't know about the podcast can you talk a little bit about uh what super duty tough work is and kind of the the format and themes that you guys deal with yeah super duty tough work is a it's a podcast where we kind of combine certain things like we're obviously hip-hop guys so everything kind of comes from that perspective but we also try to do like self-improvement doing better work personal development um we try to be encouraging and kind of share the things that we wish older artists would have told us when we were coming up uh we try to play that role so i think to a lot of younger artists who listen to us you know, when I talk to them offline and everything like that's what hits them the hardest is that we're actually sharing things with them that no one around them will share, helping them become better and more serious about their craft. And we're doing it in a hip hop way, you know, there's, and we try to make it, you know, edutainment and, and you know, uh, to quote Karis one with like that, because we know that just sitting there and telling people what to do ain't really that entertaining. You know what I mean? It's, it's actually boring. You know what I mean? Like, like we don't want to be like the teachers that people don't want to listen to anyway. And so we, we present it in our unique way and there's some tongue in cheek and we bug out sometimes, but it's all to keep people's attention and um, talk about topics that, that can help people ultimately. That's great, man. Thank you so much for the explanation. Um, you know, so current, I mean, we're talking about the current day, you know, um, your current situation, the podcasting, but I think, you know, especially for us here, we first heard of you back in the day. Um, for me personally, it was on RJD2's 
Final Frontier. Mm -hmm. And I just want to, you know, kind of use that as a springboard and go backwards because you were part of, I mean, you were fully part of the hub, you know, Sage Francis, Idea, Fast Air, Mars Mm -hmm. Ill, Slug, you know, just fully a part of the indie rap backpack movement. Can you just give our younger audiences a sense of what it was like being there? Uh, you know, it's funny. I just thought about that the other day, man. And somebody had told me something. I was like, I was thinking about this feeling that was in the air back then. It was just, a, it was a new, exciting thing because honestly, we didn't even have a, there was no real genre for us. There was no lane. You know, it was like the guys who were not quite boom bap enough to get played on stretching Bobito, the guys from the Midwest, you know, we weren't from the West coast. So we weren't like coolest project blow to them but we could rhyme and we took the craft very seriously and those guys respected us but we didn't exactly fit with them and so what started to happen is like what i noticed is that every city started to have artists who were kind of in this lane and were prominent in their scene so like when i was in i grew up in columbus i moved to cincinnati and as i got to cincinnati the biggest groups down there were um uh, Mood, Lone Catalysts, uh, J. Rawls, High Tech, you know, in Columbus, you know, it was me, a Logic, Megahertz, RJD2, right? All these different scenes. You you go over to like uh, Minneapolis, obviously you had like Slug, Idea, The Micronauts, you know, Atmosphere, Musab, who's known as Beyond back then. Um, Chicago, they had like Birthright Records and a bunch of guys there who were doing great works, uh, Macrobats and, and all those those wild ass Chicago groups, nasty MCs. Um, and then, you know, we started noticing too, the internet started bringing us together. So like I met the Adams family on, I don't even know if y'all remember this, but it was this place out West called ATAK, A-T-A-K, used to sell tapes, right? That's from our to- hometown, San Jose. Okay, yeah. I used to buy tapes off of ATAC back in the day. I bought my first bus driver tape off of there. And uh I used they used to have a message board. And so I remember somehow me and Cryptic One started talking about stuff. He was promoting his, his uh persecution of hip hop thing that he had just dropped. And we had our greenhouse and the logic tapes and we were on there just chopping it up. And somehow he and I took the conversation off. And I started building about just hip hop and shit. And um ultimately we became super tight. So we started our whole crew started going out to New York. It would be me, a logic greenhouse. We would go out to New York and spend a weekend or two at, at a cryptic's house in Long Island. We'd all sleep on the floor and then Kryptonin were cool with Aesop. So this was before Def Jux existed. And so LP had just, we, this was around the time when LP had just met Canox. So we started hearing all the Canox uh, demos, like the first song recorded, like Metal Gear and that shit. We had all of that shit. So to, to, for me, it was like, all of these crews, though, because we knew each other and we would see each other on the circuit uh, and the circuit really was developed, in my opinion, by like atmosphere and like rubber room. Those were the first two groups I ever saw touring in our lane. Jay Bird, who ultimately started working for Atmosphere, he's their manager now, works for Rhymesayers. He managed rubber room first, but he used to book uh, Atmosphere and seeing what they were doing. So he, he booked the national tour with rubber room and Atmosphere. Uh, and that was one of the first times I saw guys in our lane going out and then atmosphere came back and did tours with like micronauts and then um but the circuit was starting to get developed and as the circuit got developed we all started getting cool so within like one month um I was living in Cincinnati the rest of my crew lived in Columbus 100 miles away Mr. Dibbs books atmosphere at one of his shows in Cincinnati we hey Prince I want to play yep we want to play we fuck with them cool we play with them we all get cool idea and a logic are like one year apart they're both like 18 19 they instantly hit it off me and slug get tight next thing you know two months later like, hey man um we got this show in columbus at this spot called fm y'all want to play with us there yeah we'll play there cool we go open up from columbus this is my hometown boom month later hey man we got booked in cleveland at this spot called the euclid tavern y'all want to come up there it's a thursday night shit we'll drive fuck it we drive up to cleveland uh, two months later was scribble jam so all of these things started lining up where we're all on the same circuit we were playing all at the same place um we ended up playing we me 
all the way list, all the Adams fam got booked in Chicago playing with idea once. Um, Slug was there working merch. So it was a circuit. We started exchanging music. That's kind of what formed the relationships. You know, the tapes back then, we would get a tape and the tape would have, Crypto would give me a tape. It would have Canox songs on it, some Aesop shit he might produce, uh, some Hangar 18 shit before people knew what Hangar 18 was. You know, all these miscellaneous Adams Family groups, we give them a tape and have some Greenhouse, some some Drown, some Pleat the Fifth, some CJ Cynic, some, some Blueprint shit, some Soul Position shit. Uh, Idea give uh, Elogic a tape. This is how things were going. And this is ultimately how like uh, Def Jux kind of got signed. You know, for Columbus, the movement, uh, the biggest thing was Megahertz getting signed to Fondalum. When Megahertz got signed to Fondalum and that world premiere single came out, man, that was just wildfire. Like the whole scene was just, that was the first song in Columbus hip hop where everybody in the venue knew every word. Camus wouldn't even rap. He would just handle the Jones again while you're riding. And he'd just hold the mic. And everybody would be yelling this complex ass rhyme with him. You know? And we, it was just amazing. And I was just a fan. Like, yo, this is crazy. I want to be that. You know, I want to be where they're at, what they're doing. You know? And I still had a job then. I wasn't even thinking. We were just, so we would just record every week. But the relationships and the circuit was being built around us. It was all new. We didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't think it was real until that Chicago show. And I saw a slug signing, signing autographs and he wasn't performing. I was like, what the fuck is this? Man? <laughs> <laughs> wow. I, uh, I wow. really do appreciate you illustrating that for us as West coasters. We saw a similar thing happen in our area, but it's cool to hear about the kind of Midwest and New York take on that. I'm wondering how that affected you as an MC. Like, did you feel that you needed to keep up with the Joneses? Like, did you feel like you needed to get better to like hang with these guys? Um, or did you feel like you came into it like just a bad MC and they had to keep up with you? Like, can you talk a little bit about that friendly competition well, aspect? Well, the thing about uh, uh, me and Columbus, the whole Columbus scene, what a lot of people don't know is it's ultra, ultra competitive. You In those days of Columbus, if you couldn't freestyle in battle, you couldn't get on the mic. You had to be able like... I was able to get on the mic because I was the guy who who battled in my crew. Every crew had a motherfucker who had to be able to freestyle and battle. Megahertz had copyright. You know, <laughs> Blueprint was Weightless's guy. Everybody had those those guys. You know, you had certain crews who had multiple, you know, a stronghold. They had Poison Pen and C-Rays. You know what I mean? You had to see them fools if you was going to, and Breeze. Really, all them dudes could go. But like, so Columbus was so competitive that I never even thought about the greater competitive nature of the shit. Cause it was like, you can't even get on the mic in your city if you're not nice. And if you're not willing to battle any motherfucker in here. So there was nights I would take motherfuckers outside and serve them if they was talking shit at the mic. I would I would battle motherfuckers right then and there. The Scribble Jam battle to me was the first organized battle I ever got in. That was like 82 MCs. I'd never been on a stage battling with time limits and shit like that. I was a street battler, a cypher battler. That was my shit. That's why me and Idea were super tight. We would go places where before motherfuckers knew who we were. We would be in these scenes where we might not even be playing and we'd just be serving motherfuckers. Whoever they said was the tightest, me and Idea would just be trying to battle them because we were just into the challenge of it, just friendly shit. So like, I never thought about it like, I gotta get tighter because of the scene is doing this. I knew automatically, and me and everybody in our scene knew like, you're never gonna be shit in your city if you can't hold it down because Columbus... You know, it's founded on the back of a couple uh, open mic nights that were like legendary here. One was called uh, the Groove Shack. Groove Shack was this record store in like 1995. And, it, and they had open mics and it would just and they would have a DJ there and it would just be nothing there. But rappers battling this shit got put on public access TV. I don't know who got it on there, but it just blew up in Columbus after that. And so you and, if, and to go there to rhyme, you had to be ready to go. The first time I went, I was too intimidated. I was like, I'm not getting nowhere near this. I walked outside. I saw a copyright on the corner. He was like 15. Camus was like 15. And they were serving like 30 year old dudes, 25 year old dudes, crushing everybody. And I was like, well, holy shit, these two motherfuckers are badasses. I need to go work on my shit. But it was like that was just to get on a mic in Columbus. And then it went from that thing shut down. Then it moved to some spot called Smiling Rhino. Another super competitive open mic. Same shit. Like dudes would take the mic out your hand if you're not murdering it. You got to be ready to fight if you wanted to rhyme back in them, in them days. If you was whack, 
You some motherfuckers just ease up on you and just slowly slide the mic out your hand like you done, partner. <laughs> that's that's how I came up. You know what I mean? So it's like, and, and you and if somebody suck you, we would just pass the mic around this motherfucker. Like he be sitting there all night from eleven o'clock till the lights come on. When they be like last call, then we stop passing the mic mic around this fool. Like nah, you ain't getting none. Nah, but nah, no, you gotta prove it. So it went from that. Then it went to spot Bernie's, which was Prism's night. Prism had this open prism uh, from Spitball Crew. Same thing, bro. Then and and at the same time, this is going on. Cincinnati has an open mic, has a weekly hip hop night, just like the one in Columbus, Top Cats, and they have battles every week, eight man, sixteen man tournaments. Their shit was more battling than hearing hip hop songs. Columbus was at least like a cipher at the end of you hearing jams. Cincinnati was just like, hey, nine o'clock, sign up for the cipher. The DJ's gonna scratch for about an hour. We battling the rest of the night. That's what it was like here. It was super competitive. So like, that's the thing that people don't know about Columbus and Cincinnati. To just get out at that time, you had to be the nicest. So nationally, once we got out of here, we was like, oh, cool. <laughs> Everything easy now. <laughs> that's 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 dope. So you 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 cut your teeth in a in a cutthroat scene. Um, I want to talk a little bit, or I would like you to talk a little bit about uh, your relationship, um, both your working and personal relationship with RJD2. Um, like Dave, my introduction to your music uh, was the Final Frontier joint, in yeah. which I was like, who is this guy? Uh, because you you come from that battle tradition, and I'll be honest with you, mm-hmm. that don't always translate well to a record. It's true. You know what I mean? Like a lot of the scribble jam type stuff, a lot of dudes were, were super nice, but it it never quite translated to the record, but I, I heard your stuff and I was like, oh, he's a he's a spitter who actually knows how to like work in song form. So could you just talk a little bit about about working with RJD2 and, and like what it was like to get to know him? Yeah, I mean, me and RJ met um, because of a, a mutual friend who was a DJ. Like there's a guy in Columbus named DJ True Skills. He's kind of like the OG of like digging in the scene here because he's the first guy who had like a record shop. He had like a corner in a record shop and it was called Thieves World. And he would basically sell all the underground records, like all the the, the, the vinyl, that first vinyl movement of like all the Fondalum shit and, and ABB record, all that shit. He would have all that shit. And, and so he would sell all of that. And then he was the first guy to sell Columbus artist music. And so he was our kind of, uh, he was our DJ. And we started doing shows at Greenhouse. He knew everybody, still does. And so one day as, he, as he's, me and him are, are, are talking, I'm playing him a bunch of weird instrumental shit. And this is like the year 2000 or 99. He's like, yo, this shit is bugged the fuck out. Like, you know, like, I just know you was right. I didn't know you made no weirdo shit like this. He's like, man, you got to meet RJ. And I'm like, who's RJ? He's like, oh, he's in the megahertz. He's been living out in the Bay for the last few years. He just moved back. You got some weird instrumental shit. He got some weird instrumental shit. Next time you home, I'm going to take you over there. That's all right, cool. He takes me over to RJ's house. Me and RJ sit there. RJ plays to me what is going to be Dead Ringer. I played for him what was my chamber music album. He and I get cool immediately on some producer shit. I told him I rhyme, but he never heard me rhyme at that point. You know what I'm saying? So he didn't know. Month or two later, he comes out to the show where Greenhouse is playing. He sees me play. He sees me rhyme with my crew. It was all of us. Big ass like posse show. And after it's over, he's like, dude, he's like, have you ever thought about doing some solo shit? I was like, nah, I actually never. I don't even have no solo songs. I've never even thought about it. I'm cool being a producer and rhyming with my crew. And he's like, I got this. uh, I'm working on a single deal. He said, no, he said, I got a single deal with a label from UK. And the A side is going to, I want to put this instrumental song on it. And then the B side, I want to do a song with a, with a vocalist. He's like, let's, let's do something for that. I was like, cool, let's do it. Sends me the beats. The first beat I pick out is the final frontier. That's the very first song we ever recorded together. Me and him, the deal falls through by, you know, he sits around for a year or two, kind of in limbo, gets the music back by this time, Def Jux and rhyme series are starting to bubble, you know, and then, uh lp is hears about him he starts getting hurt he's like oh shit print can i put that song on dead ringer i'm like sure you know because i gave it to you for your record anyway and you know we after that song we started recording even more just kind of we formed a crew and uh you know the name was he had a he had a dj night with true skills called soul position night it would play 45s 
And I remember we were like, we need a name for the crew. And I just saw the flyer sitting on the on the table, soul position. I was like, we're gonna be called soul position. And he was like, all right, cool. And that was just the name of the crew. And he and I just kind of uh I, I credit him for being a guy who kind of inspired me to even become a solo artist because I had no desire. I did not see myself as that or even being that good. I just was happy doing what I was doing. But he kind of heard something in me and then, you know, inspired me to write. And those songs, all those songs, that first set of Soul Position songs from the Unlimited EP and 8 Million Stories and all of that stuff. And uh, those are the first solo songs I ever really wrote. I never really had. I was, you know, a lot of guys, they'll come in those situations. They'll have been making demos and doing songs and albums and they don't get that. That wasn't me. I just was, but I was making music. I was making albums with Elogic. I was making albums with Greenhouse. So I knew how to make an album. I just hadn't been a writer or, or a solo artist. So like his and our relationship came from that, you know, and, and we always have been just friends, music or no music. You know, we still talk and chop it up. So that's always my guy. And he's back here in Columbus now, you know, and we I don't know if we're going to release a new record soon. We got a new record. It's just timing. You know what I'm saying? And so like we recorded a record several years ago, but the timing just kind of got fucked up with like, OK, when are you touring? When are you touring? What can you put into it? What can you? And so it's, it's and then all this COVID stuff just fucked up everybody's plan. So really, I think everybody's kind of trying to, you know, uh, figure out what's going on. But, yeah, that's that's how RJ and I met, you know, and then, you know, the Soul Edition thing came. As I was saying, like we we had all these connections where we're passing around tapes. Slug, Idea, Sadiq start hearing Soul Position. They hear share this with you. Ideas like, yo, you got to hear this fucking song. All these dudes are playing this to share this. Adam's like, what the fuck is this? And it was just shit we were working on. And then that's how Soul Position ended up being. Because we were like, we could have went to either Def Jux or Rhyme Sayers. I was like, RJ, you already on Def Jux. Let's take the Soul Position shit over here to Rhyme Sayers. Because I'm torn with these guys and, and I'm cool with them. So we'll just, we'll put two bags in different baskets and see how this shit play out. And that's how we kind of end up with Rhyme Sayers. But we had relationships with both. And... and and they were interested in, 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 in all of it. And in some weird way, it was almost like Columbus was almost like a, a feeder system to that whole movement, you know, if you will. Mm. Thank you for that, man. What a great explanation. Um, you know, you mentioned so much fruitful creative partnerships and I need to bring up a logic. Obviously you guys are, are still working together with the podcast, but one of the first songs that like struck me in the face when I first heard of y'all were, um my favorite things um the logic featuring you and and did you produce that as well yeah yep i produced that whole yeah album. can yeah. you let us know like what went into that song i mean you mentioned hip-hop infinity earlier i remember that just blazing hip-hop <laughs> infinity's yeah. message boards on a fire um yeah and and it's one of my pers personal favorite songs of yours um can you just break yeah. it down of how you put that together and the construction behind that yeah well that song i mean it was kind of that whole record, he and I would just, because he was going to UC at the time. He was a freshman in college. He was he was smoking weed with Dose One every day, flunking out of his classes. And, and then, you know, then he would come over to my house, you know, be like, let's work on an album. I'm like, all right, cool, you know, because I was working as a computer programmer. So I was like, we were just doing music all the time. And so I'd pick him up probably every Friday night. And we would, just, if he wasn't doing music with Dose Now, with what would soon become Anacon, you know, um, he was doing music with me. And that song was like, you know, back then it was like, I want to sample something and just kind of do it in our own way. And, and that was us. We like, we wanted to do it, but do it in our own way. And like the favorite things was like, it just felt good. Like sometimes it's like a, a happy song. Like, you know, let's just talk about hip hop. These are our favorite things. And then we wrote it right then and on the spot together and did it. And we didn't think nothing of it until we started performing it. And in Columbus, that was one of our first big songs in Columbus. So like out of all the stuff we did, first Greenhouse, his thing, that song was the first song that really stuck where we would do shows and people like favorite things, do favorite things. And we would do it and people, the whole crowd would be yelling and we would just be tripping like this is crazy. It was crazy. It became one of their favorite things. Yeah. <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so on Super Duty Tough Work you guys dispense so much advice you you act as the the og figure and kind of put put people up on game and we really appreciate it i'd like to tell you that podcaster to podcaster love what you guys do uh my question is who do you call for advice 
oh man shit i have certain people man if i was thinking of the people i call when i need somebody to tell me what's up it would probably be probably sadiq from rhyme sayers um me and sadiq have been friends for a long time because we have a lot in common so like when rhyme sayers was first starting to before i think i was even an artist on rhyme sayers we were kind of similar i was like running waitlist had artists you know had a logic greenhouse uh zero star envelope and so and then they had rhyme series they're working on their thing and so he and i would be on the phone chopping up just about the business of running a label they trading resources on whether it's publicists distributors how do certain things work how do in caps work how do how does this ad rate work how do you you know all of these things and so he and i kind of have a relationship like that prior to our artist label manager relationship and so then as i obviously got on a label our our relationship kind of translated into that but he's still somebody that i call for for advice um strategy you know um like there's a, my guy named swam swamberg i don't know if you know fuck with soliloquist of sound uh swam is like he's just like he puts the battery in my back you know what i mean like he's just like one of the friends just like yeah just do that shit you know he's like he made me feel like a superhero when i need to feel like a superhero swam is just like that guy because he's just so gregorious and just positive you know and so he and i just bug out all the time but i i trust him you know with with uh giving me uh good advice i mean the logic is obviously we talk on cam but off to cam you know we talk even more about like strategy and, and what she would be doing and what works and what doesn't work and uh you know but those are probably the i mean slug is good slug is really good you know i'd get i give him props too because he definitely has helped me kind of uh i'll say become a better artist and and give me something to strive towards you know um he set an example for rhyme series that i think a lot of people don't understand who was not in there you know like granted if we if you look at like the original i'll say the the first the first wave of rhyme series artists there's a certain way they carry themselves you know, it was a great deal of pride in everything from how we engage fans to how we engage online, how we release our music, just a certain amount of pride there. And you see it too. And, and like all of us studied him and how we deal with promoters, how we deal with venues, how we, you, you go to a Rhyme Series show, you if you see any of us, you're going to see us standing at the table, shaking hands, signing things. That relationship with artists is some shit that he instilled in all of us. And without him, I would have never saw that even part of the game. Like I said, when I saw him signing autographs and he was just working around, I was like, what the fuck is this? What is this? <laughs> I thought this was just an underground rap show. He's a fucking star. Like, is that what's on the other side? Of, is that what's coming? You know, like, that's what, then I went on tour with him in 2002. I was like, yeah, this is it, buddy. This is, this is, this is a real thing. But he taught us all a certain etiquette, a certain way of presenting yourself he taught me how to rock a show. Um, like I never knew how to put together a show until I toured with him. When I toured with him and Mr. Dibbs, they flew me out to Minneapolis. I was doing his backups and uh, I was out there for a month. We would just learn words and practice. And he taught me about transitions between songs, interludes, how to make routines with you and your, your people, all of these things, how to, how to, how to just, how to really put together a dope show. I learned that from Slug learn that from him um so it was like college for what i do now when i went out with them in 2002 it was like that basically taught me so many things that i still apply to this day that's that's dope that's dope we had a chance to uh talk to slug right before the pandemic um on an interview and i felt like he was like on some tony robbins shit like i feel <laughs> like he taught i have to feel like i learned something from that podcast yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah he's, he's he's a dope dude yeah um all right, as, as we kind of round home here, I'm going to ask you a question. This can be controversial. But we've asked this to other folks. Um, can you give us your Ohio rap Mount Rushmore, the four, the four artists who, if we had, if you had to pick, <laughs> if you had to pick, what four Ohio artists would you put on the rap route uh, Mount Rushmore? <sighs> I'm dying Jesus. to see if you pick yourself. I'm going to. <laughs> and I was like, I can't pick myself. Huh? I mean, you can't. There's no parameters here. Just to it's let you done. know, Sky Zoo, didn't Sky Zoo pick himself? Did he? 
I think yeah. he wanted to pick himself. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so don't feel, don't feel bad if you if you want to go that was, route. Was, was Sky Zoo's just Brooklyn or was it just? Yeah, Dallas? yeah. It was it was just Brooklyn. Okay. Yeah. Shit. Ohio. Man, let me think. I mean, as a producer, you have to put high tech on there. Um, as a DJ, you probably got to put Mr. Dibs on there. Um, that's two Cincinnati guys. Cleveland, it would be hard to, I'm torn to Cleveland because I would say either, might have to put Cuddy on there. Maybe. Although he was kind of gone. You know what I mean? He wasn't a guy who came up through the local scene. He just kind of popped. He didn't have no fucking crazy mixtapes or nothing like that. Uh... Columbus, yeah, this is tough, man. This is tough, man. <laughs> I'm just, cause, you know, because if, if 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 I'm not on this motherfucker, then I'm putting uh, <laughs> RJ and uh, let me think, who else? It's probably a tie between Kamu and Copy. Okay, mm. okay, that's that's formidable. That's formidable. And you know what I like? You're the first person to actually make that a hip hop list. Right. It wasn't okay. exclusively for rappers, <laughs> okay. uh, which which we appreciate the expansiveness. Uh, Super Duty Tough Work. You guys are, are are chugging along. We are bros on the Stony Island Podcast yeah. Network, which has been uh, super cool. Glad to be down with the winning Come team. Come on over to Death Row. Come on over to Death Row. <laughs> <laughs> these other podcast networks. <laughs> All up in your videos. <laughs> Dancing. It, you know what I mean? I'm glad y'all came on over to Death Row. You know yeah, I mean? man. It's been good with uh, with Suge, Open Eagle. Um, yeah. So, uh as we're kind of wrapping here, what's what's up next for Super Duty Tough Work and, and what's up next for you? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's like back to music. You know, the last year I put out, I released two books, you know, uh, and, you know, it was the pandemic wasn't really that much else to do. And so now it's like, OK, I'm finally getting back to music. So, like, I have like several instrumental projects. I got this single I'm putting out at the end of this month. I've got a instrumental album, uh, Chamber Music Part Two. Um, my next solo record titled Vessel. These are all projects that are just completely done. You know, I got a couple uh, beat tapes and things of that nature. And so the next six months, eight months, year is just going to be music for me. You know, just back to back, back music and uh, super duty tough work. You know, we're just going to keep going, man. Just keep trying to help people. And uh, we would do it just anyway. But it's it's, it's a, a blessing that people pay attention and, and listen. And so. You know, I'm glad that it is expanded and people tune in. So we're just going to keep trying to do whatever we can to help artists in whatever format that that dictates, whether that's books, podcasts, interviews, try to interview a lot more producers upcoming as well. So, but yeah, that's it for us, man. Just every week trying to trying to help people. That's beautiful, man. Well, keep keep doing the thing. We really appreciate you coming on, man. We're, we're big fans and just best of luck in the future. Thank you Hell so yeah. much. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, friend. Night. All right. Peace. Peace. Thank you. Peace. So that was our conversation with Blueprint who is among uh, a handful of rappers who are doing podcasts now and also among a, a handful of rappers for whom I am jealous of their speaking voice. Uh, he definitely, the smoothness and a, and, a, and a calm and just a, a great interview. So yeah, we definitely appreciate him. him yeah, and out. we didn't even really get into it, but he like he's written like 10 books. Right, he's just right. like insanely productive and committed to sharing the wisdom that he has garnered um, throughout his long and successful career with other people in a way that's very admirable. Um, and like he he's just like a good example of how to age gracefully in hip hop, which is something we right. talk about constantly. And him and Illogic have this really great rapport and super duty. Tough work is very successful at setting out to do what it 
Smith's stated goal is, which right. is to mm-hmm. give kind of advice, like applicable advice that people can actually use in their real life, where we might give you music recommendations and a couple of jokes. I don't think we're out here for like advice, right? Totally. No, 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 no. We need some. <laughs> <laughs> he comes off wise. He comes off very wise, you yeah. know, and yeah. true to his name kind of gives you the blueprint for shit, you know, good um, one, it's, Dave. It's, <laughs> it's really good to see. Um, just a, like you said, I mean, um, he's a, he's a proper example of aging gracefully in hip hop. And damn, I wish I was that productive, man. <laughs> yeah, seriously, uh, I think the the approach of Super Duty Tough Work in this uh, this idea of like sharing the knowledge is refreshing in a sense, because uh, I definitely know that at times hip hop can be very like closed. <laughs> like if somebody's good at something like they're not going to tell you right. uh, how they did it um hip-hop is kind of in some ways notorious for that so it's it's kind of refreshing to see blueprint at a logic use that platform um and then and they, when you they just did an episode on uh it's okay to have a day job and i'm like thanks guys <laughs> I, feel, I feel seen <laughs> right like come on you know like because there's these stigmas right like oh you're not successful um screw you but i i feel like they're they're setting a a good example and a new trend. And I can talking to blueprint. I can see why the, the podcast is so successful. So they are our label mates here on Stody Island. Please check out super duty, tough work um, on a podcast platform near you. Now, if you've been a listener to this program for a long time, and I know that many of you have, you know that support for dad, Bod rap pod is brought to you by manscape who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Champions of the world, Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, Dave. The 4.0. They just like went your GPA in high school. <laughs> That's the uh, honor roll right there. Uh, yeah. they, they sold over $2 million. They went double plat. This is like a Tupac's double CD. Uh, with the and with the exclusive offer code DadBod, you can get twenty percent off and free worldwide shipping at Manscaped.com. Support your boys. Go to Manscaped.com. Enter code DadBod, and you will get twenty percent off and free worldwide shipping uh, for the lawnmower four Indeed, indeed, you will. And then who wouldn't? <laughs> want to uh be properly groomed um i don't know if you guys noticing this it's certainly a thing for me those like super coarse eyebrow hairs that like go opposite of the direction i'm just like this is my new life this is what, I, this is what the yeah. rest of life is gonna be like yes. i have like a freaking wire coming out of the top of my head like how did Pretty it much. get so thick so fast i just right. looked yeah i just take out the little uh trimmy thingy i get the light I zip those off. I don't do much grooming, but I think we have to like take a close look at the eyebrows these days. They're a little out of control. Well, it's it's like those guys on the Muppet Show. I think it's Randolph and, <laughs> and Mortimer. I think the older you get, I suffer from that as well, Dave. Uh, I'm I'm sorry, Dave. You don't suffer from that because you're glossy. <laughs> um, for for us hairier dudes, I I do suffer from that. And like using the Manscaped, it's 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 gentle. It actually it cuts wow. the hair, but it's not like uh, aggressively like the the shaver that I typically use for my beard. I would never put near the family jewels, although Dude, I'm done that's... having kids. But... <laughs> you know, you're not trying to go for open. the double vasectomy with the trimmer. <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. Dude, that's real talk. I was I was trimming my beard yesterday and um, I the lawnmower buzzes at such a lower frequency, like it cuts the hair clean, but it's like it's chill about it. I yeah. turned on one of the other ones and it was like, like <laughs> super aggressive. So I was like, it's, we don't, need, we don't lo- need that energy right now. The lo-fi of ball trimmers uh, tap in to the Manscaped uh, lawnmower 4.0. And also you get to support the program, which we really appreciate here on the dad bod rap pod. Uh, we want to thank everybody for tapping into episode 189. Uh, you can connect with us always on Twitter at dad bod rap pod and on IG when it's working at dad bod rap pod. Uh, we drop new episodes like every Thursday for the past three years. It's October and we're tired, but we're also excited 
about maybe there will be a new way to connect with us soon who knows the dynamic world things change people learn foreshadowing uh yeah we got some announcements coming up in the days to come for those of you who rock with the program but for now we will leave you with a kind blessings and everybody just be safe don't be dumb that's all i got for you just just don't be dumb don't Um, be dumb See, maybe we are an advice podcast. I, that's all. what I was going for. I was trying to be like, uh, Super Tough Work is much better at this. But we're, <laughs> we are going to close with Don't Be Dumb. Listen to the Dad Bod Rap Pod. Um, 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 it doesn't matter what kind of music you make. Rock, rap, opera. The ones that stick out in our heads are the ones that have a certain melody. Like, we all love the Beatles. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> we all like love a Beatles song because we can all sing it. The melody makes us feel good. Oh,